The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. It's an ugly day in the markets. The Dow tumbling 800, now close to 1,000 points. So we are at session lows basically right now. It's the worst day of the year for the major averages. The 10-year yield is dropping well below 1.2%. Now Bitcoin is sinking back towards 30,000. Energy is plunging. The reopening trade is off and the shutdown stocks are working again with names like Netflix and Peloton and Clorox all in the green, or at least they were at last check. It's been a fast moving afternoon. We do have full coverage of the sell off and we'll be asking what's really going on here all hour long. Let's begin with the latest state of play at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Dom Chu is here to kick things off with the numbers for us. Dom. We are just roughly very marginally off the worst levels of the session so far. We were down just around 900 points just a few moments ago. You can see down roughly 850 for the Dow right now. The real underperformer on the day, the S&P 500, 42.44, the last trade. They're off roughly 2%. And for the Nasdaq Composite, the outperformer down only 1.5%. The last trade is 14,221. I will point out that if the moves in the Dow to this level on the downside hold, it will be the worst day for the Dow so far in 2021. Also, you mentioned yields. That interest rate picture continues to show No fear of inflation for now and no real fear for growth. The reason why 1.19 percent is the last trade there. You've got to go all the way back to February, probably around February 12th for the same level of yields that we saw. So, again, that inflation fear rolling over along with yields on 10 year U.S. government Treasury bonds. Now, if you take a look at the overall picture for the other part, that's really getting some of the real weight of the market put on them. It's the energy trade. Crude oil futures down 7% right now. The energy sector spider ticker XLE is down 4.5%. ExxonMobil, Occidental Petroleum, Fang, uh, Diamondback Energy ticker FANG are all down markedly on the day. So that reopening trade, the fuel consumption fears playing into that along with OPEC and its partner countries. Not exactly saying, hey, you know, we're going to keep those production cuts in place. That plays out. And then one more place to watch, Kelly. Check out what's happening with the reopening stocks, United, Norwegian, Freeport, MacBrown, Gold and Copper, Caterpillar shares on the industrial side all down as well. So it's going to be a big move in terms of those particular trades. So I'm watching what's happening with those. Beat it, my friend. I appreciate it. Oh, look, we're going to pick up exactly where Dom just left off on the energy space in particular. We all want the Telestrator today because there is so much going on. So let's take a look once again. These are the major averages, but at what's going on in the sector space. How much of the sell-off today is over fears of a growth slowdown? And how much is capitulation of the inflation trade? Energy, like Dom said, the worst performing sector today. It's down more than 4%. Crude is down more than 7%. And all of this comes after that OPEC Plus decision to boost output. What do lower energy prices mean? Less inflation. So the 10-year yield is sinking as well, below 1.2%. What do lower yields mean? They put pressure on the banks. What does that do? It's weighing heavily on the Dow. Names like Goldman and J.P. Morgan, especially Goldman, which is with its $352 price. Remember, the Dow is a price-weighted index. This is why the Dow is uh, underperforming so much today, that along with Boeing. So is less inflation a big piece of the puzzle today? And if so, 
Isn't that a good thing? Joining me now to discuss are Barry James, president of James Investment Research, and Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. Uh, great to have you guys both here on a day like this. Barry, I'll start with you. What's going on with inflation right now with growth and with the markets, do you think? I think, um, you know, when we look at inflation, we've seen the rollover of, of any number of materials, you know, from lumber to gold and now uh, oil. So I think that is part of what is, uh, you know, in, in the equation. And we look at the, uh, of course, the interest rates and, uh, you know, bond investors are saying we're not worried about it. Uh, the weird thing is we now have real yields. The yield minus inflation is negative, and it doesn't tend to stay there for that long. So one or the other is going to be making a change. All right. Jim, which of these do you think is going to be making the big change from here on out? I fear it's going to be the stock market. I'm, um, I got a little bit of a different take. If you look at core inflation levels, you could take out lumber, you could take out energy, you could take out all the commodities. Inflation is still as high as the overall headline rates as well, too. Yeah, the reopening trades like airline tickets and used car prices will come down, but shelter inflation is going up. So what I'm trying to say is we have inflation. It's probably going to stay. So why is the bond market ignoring it and falling it? It's all about growth. If you look at a ratio of the growth stocks, to, uh, the reopening stocks to the S&P, it tracks interest rates. The reopening stocks have been struggling for the last couple of months and rates have been falling. So this is all about a fear that the economy is going to slow. And if you want to narrow it down, it's a fear that the Delta variant is going to lead to more lockdowns. Yeah. And that's what's got everybody worried. Earlier today, Fauci, Dr. Fauci was out on the tape, refused to answer the question if there's more lockdowns coming that's not what the market wanted to hear. So then, Jim, the real question that investors need to grapple with is whether they think that more lockdowns are coming or not. And don't we sort of know the answer to that? I mean, with each successive wave, we've seen less and less of a response. New York City is saying it's not going back to indoor mask mandates. Public schools, no. Look at what Randy Weingarten is saying. There's no way they're going to shut down for the third year now because they've seen how it's driving kids out of the public school system. So should it, shouldn't we look at that information and say that any kind of shutdown risk would be way lower now than it would have been in the past. Yes, and Los Angeles did go back to masks, and the case counts, while low, have been doubling every seven days. That, If that keeps up for another two or three weeks, we might have a very different narrative by the end of the month when it comes to shutdowns. So we'll have to see how this goes. But right now, I think this market is worried that growth is stalling badly. And if you needed a story for why it's stalling, I think it's worried that the Delta variant is going to lead to some kind of a restriction in economic activity. All right. So let me ask both of you whether you would fade or follow this move, Barry. In other words, would you be picking up some of the stocks that are selling off because of these concerns? Or do you think that you should follow the lead of the markets here and say you got to move to the sidelines on some of these more sensitive names until we have better clarity on the outcome? Well, you know, I broke a tooth <laughs> this weekend. Uh, uh, I think the tooth fairy's not coming to visit. I think she was busy putting money in people's, you know, stock portfolios. And, uh, you know, as I look at it, the situation, uh, the key ingredients behind her delivering things has been the Fed support, the stimulus from Washington, and the strong economic growth. And, and as already been pointed out, uh, I like to look at the... Um, you know, the surprises that come in on, on the economic reports, there aren't any positive surprises. So we are seeing that slow down. And each of those other areas have some warning signs. So I would say expect some more volatility. Yes, today's probably overdone and we'll get a bounce tomorrow. But use this time to realign your portfolio. And, you know, we like some, some stocks that are, you know, the 
COVID favorites uh, like ASML and PayPal uh, and the like. And those types of companies, we think, in this low interest rate environment will do real well. And uh, they've got the, the staying power to, to hold up and, and go forward regardless of, of what we're seeing overall in the market. Yep. And you like also a home builder, LGI. Jim, let me ask you yeah. what you think investors should do here, because you seem to be of more more kind of a stagflation view of things. Do you think that's right? I mean, how should such that seems like the opposite of the way that this market has typically behaved. It tends to sort of behave in, in a low inflation growth is either on or off kind of, you know, storyline. What you're describing would be persistent inflation and slower growth. Yeah. First of all, let's remember that in a pandemic reopening, um, no one has a rule. Nobody has a guidebook for this. We have no idea how this is supposed to unfold. So we're all kind of feeling around in the dark. But if we're going to have a combination of sticky inflation because of either supply chain concerns or demand concerns, because we've mailed a lot of people money and they're spending it right now on top of concerns of more lockdowns and and a slowdown in the economy. Yeah, that's not a good prescription for the market. I think it will continue to struggle. Not that I'm not calling for a bear market or anything significant, but you might see heightened volatility and a choppy sideways stock market and interest rates continue to be, you know, grinding a little bit lower and keeping everybody a little bit at edge as to what's going to happen now, next. Wait a minute. You're saying you see a stagflationary kind of outlook, but with interest rates grinding lower. I mean, that's the oddest thing about all of this. If inflation is going to be at all persistent, why is the bond market completely shrugging that off? Because the Fed buys one and a half trillion dollars worth of bonds a year. And a lot of people have as their first reaction in the bond market to buy on economic weakness. And we've also got very low levels of stagflation, right? We're talking about two or three percent inflation. We're not talking about five, six or seven. So you can have, like I said, the playbook for whatever, you know, everybody that remembers anything that happened before 2019 in markets, that might not be of any good when it comes to a pandemic reopening, because this is unlike anything we've seen before. And that's a decade long playbook we need to rewrite. Uh, we'll see. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Jim Bianco and Barry James joining me to talk about today's markets. Now, we also have growing uncertainty around the health of the economy as the Delta variant stokes investor fears. You combine that with some of the inflation headwinds we are talking about and lower treasury yields. What does it all mean for the recovery and our GDP expectations? Steve Leisman is here now with the details of his latest rapid update. Steve? Kelly, thanks. Yeah, the CNBC rapid update showing some modest erosion of growth because of inflation. But overall, the forecast is for strong GDP in the quarters ahead and declining inflation. That is to say, Wall Street forecasters, at least at this moment, are not embracing the sell-off in stocks or the economic pessimism that you might see if you look at the bond market right now and the yields there. The average of 14 economists we surveyed shows growth peaking in the second quarter at just above 9%. That's down from the 10% forecast at the beginning of the quarter. Inflation looks to have eaten a piece of that away, at least, at least the growth is. Deutsche says, though, this is the fastest turnaround from a recession that we've had since 19. 19- 49. GDP gradually seemed declining, but those numbers are still above trend well into next year. Joe Busuelos from RSM says, we expect an American household flush with cash and rising wages to steam right through rising prices on the back of supply constraints that will soon begin to ease. Inflation is forecast to have hit 5.7% in the second quarter. That's massive, the highest level since 1990. It gradually comes down, will end up at 2.2%. Now, that is much lower, but it's still seven-tenths higher than the 10-year average we've seen for the PCE inflation index followed by the Fed. 
While inflation is high, it's not forecast to force the Fed's hand to alter policy. The unknown is how much impact the Delta variant will have on U.S. growth, especially as it may come through global economic channels. And just before uh, I came on, Kelly, I was looking at the Fed funds futures. It looks like this trade today has pushed out into, say, December 2022, the market's take on when that first rate hike will be fully priced in. So in other words, there's a wide range of opinion about where this economy is headed in the back half, Stephen. I think one of the disputes that we also see is over people who say we're at peak growth and others who say, well, it doesn't matter because we're still growing. You know, and when you listen to the discussion that we just had with Jim Bianco, who says, look, the prevailing playbook of the past decade may not apply now, which is this kind of risk on risk off, you know, markets mindset that we've been in time and time again. Um, I don't know if the data tells you that, you know, it might be different this time in terms of what GDP and inflation are, are both expected to do here. I, I think those are all fair points, Kelly. And the way I put it in context is, look, the conventional wisdom, the consensus that we that we just showed you shows that growth is going to come down. It was always thought to be the second quarter is going to be the peak, but it's going to be pretty strong relative to where it normally would be. It's going to remain above 2% for about a year. Inflation, really high, but it's going to come down. That's the forecast as bottlenecks ease. So what's what's not known, what's not conventional? It's the take on the Delta variant is the only thing that I could think of, which is prompting a risk-off trade. Whether or not you want to play that game and decide, hey, it is indeed time to head for the hills, well... You either talk to the doctors or you talk to the bond market, and it's a little unclear what each is saying about what this means. But it would strike me that uh, right now that's the biggest unknown out there and the proximate cause for the rally in the bond market, because certainly they are ignoring the inflation. One final question, Steve. I I am curious, you know, either for your own field, just based on the conversations you've had or if people are asked about this outright, what kind of uh, economic information do you think the 10-year yield is giving us? At 1.2%. I mean, yes, as we just heard, there's a a huge buyer of treasuries is the Fed. No question, more than half of the new issuance, which is still a small amount of the total uh, supply. But still, these yields move up and down, you know, independent of the pace of Fed purchases. So I guess my question is, what does the 10-year below 1.2% tell you? Well, you know, first of all, I have some sympathy with the idea the Fed is a big buyer in there. But your point is exactly right. The Fed is a constant buyer. Meanwhile, yields go up and down. Yields had no problem going from below 1% to 1.6%. And everybody who was uh, concerned about inflation said, oh, that's the inflation scare that's out there. They came back down. And now the claim by some of these same folks is that, oh, you're not getting a true signal because of Fed purchases. Well, Fed purchases, they are high, but they're constant. And they're also believed to come down in the future. So I think this is a head for the hills thing. I don't know that I necessarily see an economic signal in there. Sometimes the market, the bond market gets this right and sometimes it gets this wrong. It's not a perfect indicator out there, Kelly. So I would just say that I would watch it um, and and wait to see if either the economic forecasts come down or the bond market writes itself again and starts planning on growth again. All right, Steve, thank you. Our Steve Leesman here to round everything up. Have some breaking news on Robinhood and details on the company's roadshow as it prepares to go public. Kate Rooney here with the story. Kate? Hey, Kelly, another unusual move in Robinhood's IPO process. The trading startup announcing a live stream portion of its roadshow specifically for retail investors. These are normally closed sessions, more for institutional investors. This will be a presentation on Saturday from the CEO and co-founder Vlad Tenev and some other executives at Robinhood. It's followed by a live Q&A. They say they'll answer some questions submitted by the public Robinhood 
is reserving, remember, as much as a third of its IPO shares for its own customers. Those who are trading on Robinhood, though, shares of the ticker Hood are available to reserve on that app. Today, there's some other IPOs on there as well. Duolingo is on that list. Robinhood is officially kicking off its IPO roadshow today. We had the amended S1 this morning looking at a roughly $35 billion valuation on the high end. And most of its roadshow has been virtual. We are expecting that listing on the NASDAQ next Thursday. Kelly, back to you. Uh, so many questions, Kate. Since we just have you here right now, what are people in the crypto world saying about the connection between the sell-off in that space and the sell-off in equities more broadly? So interesting. We Well, crypto specifically, but to Robinhood, that point for a second on the slowdown in trading, they mentioned some of the slowdown in retail trading activity and expect to see slower trading volumes, including cryptocurrency, in the third quarter. So that does give you a little bit of color on kind of what we've seen lately. And it's interesting, on crypto in general, it does seem to be trading much more like a high-risk, more venture capital, risk-on asset versus sort of this hedge against inflation. We keep getting these numbers, CPI, anything showing you more inflation does not seem to be helping Bitcoin. And so it doesn't seem to have really earned its spot as a hedge yet. It's really trading more like a tech play. Yeah, I have to double check sometimes when we're showing the Dow and Bitcoin because the price action is so similar on a day like this. Very Kate, correlated. we'll see you again soon. Yeah. We appreciate it. Kate Rooney with some fresh details on Robinhood's uh, listing as well. Still ahead on the exchange, we are monitoring the sell-off. We just showed you the markets. Crude's down nearly 8% right now. It's just an ugly day in commodities. For copper as well, though, look at that down 3%. Goldman's Jeff Curry has said copper is the new oil, but since both are falling, he'll join us next. Plus, will dropping rates hold up the home builders? Those names are holding up about 1% in the sell-off today. And as we head to break, take a look at tech. The big names are all struggling. Netflix is the relative outperformer. It briefly turned positive. All ahead of a key week for earnings. We're back in a moment. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, Get shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Welcome back, everybody. Let's drill down on two corners of the commodity space today. Oil has quickly plunged more than 12 percent from its highs and is well below 70 a barrel. It's actually near to $66 a barrel right now. All of this after OPEC Plus members over the weekend reached an agreement to increase production starting in August. 
You might say, all right, well, that's an oil-specific story. But take a look at copper, more of a growth gauge. You know, they always call it the metal with a Ph.D. It's down 3 percent today as commodities continue to cool off. And it's down 12 percent from its recent highs. So they've pretty much sold off in tandem. With me to discuss more is Jeff Curry. He's global head of commodities research at Goldman Sachs. Jeff, appreciate you coming right back on. So first of all, tell investors, what do you think is going on here? Well, it's definitely not OPEC. You know, the OPEC meeting concluded with a relatively positive bullish outcome. Um, this is definitely the Delta variant. You see the airlines getting hit hard today. And the fact that oil's getting hit harder than copper is an indication that's hitting like transportation fuels harder. Things can be impacted by, by lockdowns. Um, the one thing we want to emphasize here is that every one of these markets are still in a deficit today. Um, you know, the structural story is still very much intact. You know, this is still the beginning of a multi-year bullish outlook. Um, in terms of thinking about the Delta variant itself, the key point is the level of demand. Because remember, commodities are different than financial markets. Financial markets are impacted by growth rates. Commodities are impacted by the level of demand. You need the level of demand above the level of supply. So you draw inventories that creates a bullish market. Now, so the question is, can the demand level drop below the supply level? Um, only really lockdowns can do that. And at this point right now, it's unclear whether or not you would get substantial lockdowns. And I think the key point here is we're not returning to last year. We have more of a rolling diversified portfolio. Second point is even if it happens, what we learned from India is a four to six week experience. And then I think the other point is policy is far more targeted today. Um, it's going to try to avoid creating big disruptive lockdowns. And then finally, I think the, the other key point is that the vaccines have broken that linkage between hospitalizations and, and you know, increases in, in infection. So, mm. you know, the risk is there and I don't want to diminish it. Um, but again, we argue buy these dips because this is a multi-year story. Well, and that's what I find so interesting about the price action today, Jeff, because we've been talking in the marketplace for at least four to six weeks now about the Delta variant. None of this is a surprise. It was obvious based on what happened in other countries that the same thing could happen here in the U.S. If anything, we're just catching up to that. It should have already been priced in. What are we pricing in today? And, and is this just a little bit of some sort of capitulation or liquidation trade? Because... You know, like you said, we've known about the Delta variant. We've understood the risks it poses. We're still all basically agreeing there's unlikely to be any serious lockdown activity in the U.S. So why are markets all of a sudden today pricing in that outcome? I think it's because, you know, the, the line going around is, you know, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. When you start to look at it in segments of the economy uh, or of, you know, the, you know, the, the different countries, it's really hitting an isolated group. And because the numbers in places like the UK are getting so large, there now is a realistic concern that this could create lockdowns. Um, and so in terms of looking at, you know, Israel, UK, Scotland, these are some of the key places that the market's focused on today. And I think it's just the sheer size of the numbers. Fair enough. So in, in many ways, you know, a reminder that these are global commodities that they could be as mm -hmm. or more concerned about lockdowns elsewhere than maybe lockdowns in the U.S. per se. Which markets do you think are tightest and which are loosest? In other words, where do you think prices should hold up relatively better than others? Yeah. You know, oil, oil, and more oil. I, the, the situation with oil, you're in peak travel season. And by the way, the word here in the UK is, 
you know, people are going to they're going to get in those planes and fly. They haven't taken a vacation for a very long time. So in terms of looking at, you know, the demand above supply, the deficit, the one in oil is very large in this OPEC meeting today. Um, you know, it modestly improves the situation, but in no way does it solve the deficit. You know, we estimate the deficit in June was two point three million barrels per day. Again, they've committed to adding 400,000 barrels per day in the month of August, which, as you can see, doesn't even come close to filling the gap. But given the inability for 20 percent of OPEC to even hit their quotas, that number is going to be something like 300,000 barrels per day. So 2.3 million barrel per day gap. They're going to fill maybe 300,000 of it. So we really like oil. Oil's the one here, given this pullback, um, has the greatest upside. You know, our target is still $80 a barrel. We think with this OPEC meeting being more bullish than we expected, um, that number is now somewhere around 82, 83. And we still think you can see spikes into that 85, 90 range. But I want to emphasize we got to get through the next several weeks and be sure that we don't see significant lockdowns. So two things, so I guess two points to make here to make sure I'm understanding you correctly is that oil is actually the commodity you think is best positioned because the market is that undersupplied that in any kind of, you know, demand erosion situation, its fundamentals still hold up the best. And yet it's the worst performing today. So that's one observation. And then the Mm -hmm. other is from what you're describing while we all know markets and they can, you know, sort of take these things and run with them, you basically would buy oil and and would you buy any of the all of the other commodities here as well that you've been recommending on on today's price action actually if you want to hedge yourself um you know from a a potential of a lockdown we like to call metals like copper and you know the other bulk commodities um we call them capex commodities meaning they're in they're used towards investment think about oil as opex um, commodities you operate the economy with oil you invest in the economy with copper Um, if we do have lockdowns it's going to hit the um the opex commodities much more than it will the cap in fact there's very little risk that the capex commodities like copper get hit so we would view this broad liquidation is really being a buying opportunity across the commodity complex. And with copper, we still stick with our $11,000 a ton target. Um, The reason we like oil right now is just how far it's sold off and given how large the deficit is and the risk that this leads to real substantial um, lockdowns being pretty, I would say, still pretty small. Yeah, well, I'm very interested to see if this is the end of the trade that's kind of been coming to the forefront for the past month or two, or if it's the beginning of a kind of a a more accelerated version of it. Uh, But Jeff, again, for explaining the fundamentals here and how these things trade, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Jeff Curry of Goldman Sachs. Coming up, we'll continue to follow the markets with the Dow down more than 800 at almost 900 points again right now. Uh, the lows, we were nearly down about 1,000 points. We'll look at which names in particular are dragging us lower. Plus, just as retail was opening back up and starting to recover, the Delta variant could present a major risk. Who can withstand a potential, is it a second wave now, a third, a fourth? Anyway, we've got the names. And as we head to break, check out Bitcoin. Crypto trade is falling apart today, down nearly $1,000, with the industry also facing a lot of regulatory challenges. We'll look at which is the sort of tail and which is the dog, so to speak, in crypto in the markets. We're back in a moment. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. 
The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Here's a check on markets, which are heading back towards session lows. The Dow's down 927 points. That's 2.7%. Again, it's the worst performer today. Boeing, the financials, energy, all key reasons there. The S&P is down about 2%. The Nasdaq's down 1.5%. Interesting side note, by the way, the official uh, declaration from the National Bureau of Economic Research, the NBER, they're the ones who say when recessions begin and end. Just in the last 15 minutes or so, they have officially declared that um, last April of 2020 was the end of the recession that began in February, making it the shortest on record. Let's bring in Mike Santoli. He has been tracking all the action for us today and keeping an eye on some of the biggest movers. Mike, what do you think has sparked this sudden sell-off? You know, Kelly, I don't know that it's so much of a spark as much as it was kind of the ongoing incremental realization that markets were uh, reacting to this growth scare globally. And what's going on in the bond market made it pretty tough to escape. The other piece of it is uh, some of the very largest stocks, while they're outperforming today, the Nasdaq stocks, they're not immune to it. So it seems as if it's a little more inclusive, getting a pretty thorough downside flush, actually. uh, And as we sit, you know, three, four percent before record highs in the S&P. Take a look at the banks index. A lot of the weakest areas today have actually been rolling over for a while. And I think that's what I mean by the fact that the markets have been grappling with this stuff for a while. The the S&P banks, you know, really, this was sort of a whole ceiling we got there. Uh, We've not given up all the year-to-date gains, but it shows you that you're not too far above uh, those levels that we kind of broke to first in January. So that sort of, you know, puts it on on notice that are we still in a cyclical market? Is it much more defensive or not? Airlines, a more dramatic picture of something very similar. This right here, that was vaccine approval. So that was just this kind of, okay, we can set some of the deepest pessimism aside. But again, you're kind of challenging those types of levels that we got to just after we got the, the little bit of a repricing for the uh, vaccine. Now, we're still, you know, four or 500,000 daily passengers short of 2019 levels in terms of uh, TSA throughput. Now, take a look at Boeing. Really uh, another exacerbated example of this, too. So here you're also going back, giving up most of that post vaccine uh, ramp that we got. Of course, we got a lot of other issues here, whether it's, you know, China or some of the product uh, complications that they've had. But uh, certainly we're seeing a little bit of a stretching to the downside in these areas that have already been underperformers, Kelly. Mike, if we were doing a sort of a, you know, an office pool, what would you take for the close here? Um, I think... What I'm seeing in terms of some of the real short-term work is another probe to the downside, then maybe a bounce attempt. I think a lot of people, I mean, this is coin flip stuff, but a lot of people are going to be mindful of we still have been in an uptrend. We're at the 50-day average for the S&P right around now, maybe a couple points below it at this point. And Tuesdays, you might get a little bit of a snapback. So that's (laughs) basically the way I would uh, would play it. But, um, you know, not with my own money, as we know. Mike, thank you very much. We'll see you again soon. Mike Santoli down at the NYSE. Let's get over to Rahel Solomon now for our CNBC News update. Rahel? Hi, Kelly. Hello, everyone. Here's what's happening at this hour. A Florida man who carried a Trump flag into the Senate chamber has been sentenced to eight months in jail. Paul Hodgkins is the first to be sentenced for a felony charge in connection with the January 6th insurrection on Capitol Hill. So what does the sentence mean for the hundreds still charged? Shep will break it down on the news tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. President Biden is walking back his comment that Facebook is killing people by not removing COVID vaccine misinformation. 
Facebook isn't killing people. These 12 people are out there giving misinformation. Anyone listening to it is getting hurt by it. It's killing people. It's bad information. My hope is that Facebook, instead of taking it personally, that somehow I'm saying Facebook is killing people, that they would do something about the misinformation, the outrageous misinformation about the vaccine. That's what I meant. And Britain's chief scientific advisor says that 60 percent of newly hospitalized COVID patients have had two shots of vaccine. Moments ago, the CDC raising its COVID warning for travelers to the U.K. to its highest level. You're now up to date. Kelly, I'll send it back to you. 60 percent of their newly hospitalized patients are fully vaccinated, Rahel. That's wow. It is surprising. And yet that official said that it isn't surprising, at least according to him, because, as we know, the the vaccines aren't fully effective. But it does seem like a... A high number. You are these tiny overall. You have to wonder what the you know, what the base is that they're using. Is it a very small number of hospitalizations or, you know, if he's saying the new hospitalizations still. Uh, From what I understand, new hospitalizations, but it's uh, represents a a smaller portion of the larger population. Yeah. Yeah. At least for now. All right. Rahel, we appreciate it. Rahel Solomon coming up. This retailer reported record second quarter results. It raised guidance, but it's still down nearly six percent. One analyst says the move in the stock is all you need to know about investor sentiment right now. He'll join us ahead. Welcome back to The Exchange. Retail is broadly lower today in the sell-off on concerns over that Delta variant. The XRT retail ETF is down more than 6% in the, in the past week. Some of the names that have seen the biggest rally so far this year are also now taking the biggest hits, like Macy's, L Brands, Levi Gap, and Tapestry. Uh, Macy's is down nearly 5% today. But my next guest says if you want to know what's really going on in the retail sector, watch Tractor Supply. It may hold the key to investor sentiment. The big pandemic winner reported earnings today. It beat on the top and bottom line, raised its full year guidance. But the slock stock sliding more than 7 percent at the lows now down about 4 percent. Joining me now is Brian Nagel. He is growth consumer and e-commerce analyst at Oppenheimer. Brian, actually, so is it a good thing that tractor supplies lower? Because if this was a, you know, um, what should we call it, a shutdown trade, shouldn't it be ascendant? Well, look, look, Kelly, I think I think your opening is perfect. I mean, tractor supply, in my mind, the action in tractor supply tells us a lot about the sentiment around consumer and retail stocks. And look, what I think is happening right now is there's very much a tug of war. Okay, So as you've been talking about, and I mean, pretty much every guest on CNBC this, today has been talking about all these, you know, these renewed or heightened concerns of the Delta variant. So you know, what that would mean is, you know, some of these, you know, these COVID winners like a tractor supply, like a Home Depot, you know, may have, uh, you know, their, their winning streaks, so to say, may be elongated, which, look, there's probably some truth to that. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm by no means a, 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 you know, a COVID expert, but, you know, there will be some truth to that to the extent that the pandemic persists. But, you know, I think what's happening is, and I think correctly, the market is saying that the next major move will be reopening. And we've already got some taste of that. You know, so these, these really big COVID winners like Tracker Supply, despite good results, despite now high percolating, you know, Delta concerns, are still moving lower on good results as the market starts to look towards a more significant or complete reopening. So basically, if I were watching all this and I wanted to bet on, you know, let's say a, a fourth wave of COVID that sends the U.S. back into a version of um, the economic downturn that we've experienced in the past, then I should buy stocks like Tractor Supply. But if I think the reopening will continue despite all of this, then I would want to be a seller here. Is that right? That, that's correct. That's correct. Right. I think there's a, a nuance in there as well that, you know, again, even if it's extraordinarily fluid at this point, you know, but even if the economy goes into more of a lockdown type mode, 
I just don't think you'll see the, the you know the, the benefit in stocks like tractor supply and others, you know, because like like the market is focusing on on reopening. But also the other another really I know, key, key 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 ingredient here is these comparisons. So you look at tractor supply. You know, their business they had a great report today. That company's managing really well. You know, but one of the reasons you see we're seeing this slow down their results is that we're now starting to cycle past these really difficult comparisons. And so there's those difficult comparisons will, will muddle, muddle these results, even if even if this, you know, the, the, the pandemic or the effects of the pandemic can persist. Right. So even a company like Tractor, you know, especially for a company like Tractor Supply, it's going to be a long time before they're kind of in a normal environment where we're, the only reason you know, we're up 3 percent year on year or something like that. And we're talking about how they're going to increase margins. So let's talk about the rest of the space and some of the names that are, you know, especially geared towards the pandemic trade. You know, I don't know which of these you cover, but I think of Peloton, even a name like Lululemon. I mean, we mentioned Macy's, for example. Would you separate these out into the kind of, you know, shutdown and reopening baskets at this point? Or like you were saying earlier, do you think that the retail sector largely is saying there will there won't be any more shutdowns? You can own these stocks. They just still have difficult uh, comps in some cases. Well, look, I think it's very mixed. Okay, so my my coverage universe is much more skewed towards you know companies who are COVID winners. Now I do I do cover the athleisure names, so like Nike and Lululemon, and I think those companies are very well positioned to to capitalize upon a reopening. And we've seen that in some of the results lately. Nike had an absolute fantastic report a few weeks ago, and again I think that to a certain extent is a reflection of the reopening. So I, I expect over time that to continue. Clothing retailers, I don't you know I don't really I don't cover many of them, but I would say generally speaking, those are viewed as is, is, is within the retail space is reopening. The area where I'd be concerned with, and these are the names I've downgraded a lot over the past several months, would be housing. You know, so, so Home Depot, Tractor Supply, we've been talking about, a company like Williams-Sonoma, Best Buy. All, all these companies, they're, they're very well-run companies. And there will be an opportunity in my mind to, to buy these stocks once we get past this COVID noise. But what's, right now we're in the period, you know, putting aside the concern, the Delta concerns now, but we're in the period where we're coming out of COVID we're starting to contend with these really difficult comparisons as we cycle past what was, for most of these companies, a fantastic 2020 and early 2021. So last question, because everyone's curious, what do you think is going on in the housing market? Is it finally starting to roll over? Well, you know, like, like I, I was be careful what I, where my expertise is. I, I don't necessarily follow housing, but I watch very closely all retail that is tied to housing. OK, so I, do, I say I keep a pretty close eye on housing. It seems to me. You know, by most measures, the, the, the housing market continues to perform quite well. Uh, you know, I think some of the only limitations out there have been supply. You know, so for retailers selling into this, that's usually good. They, they, these retailers typically benefit when there's, there's underlying strong demand for housing. and People are looking to either get into new homes or, or refurbish the homes they, they currently live in. All right. So, like you said, perhaps finally that increase in supply is actually keeping momentum in the market instead of slowing it down because there's literally just nothing there. It's been amazing to watch how active it is for what's typically a quiet summer period. Brian, we appreciate checking in with you on a bunch of different fronts today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Brian Nagel of Oppenheimer. Speaking of home builders, up next, the ETF is lower today, but we're going to talk about some of the bright spots, the names bucking the downtrend and what's propping them up despite today's drop in sentiment. Also, the crypto collapse continues with Bitcoin dropping again today. It's down 7% over the past week, still about 53% off its highs. We're going to dig into it when uh, the exchange continues. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Exchange on this big down day. The Dow's down more than 900 points right now. We're close to session lows, 2.6% decline for the Dow. The S&P down 2%, the Nasdaq down 1.4%, their biggest decline since about mid-May. 
Now, here's a look at some of the losers in particular right now. In the Dow, we're talking about the energy names, the financials, names like Goldman Sachs, high price weightings. Those are weighing heavily today. Also, Boeing, a big decliner. Boeing is down more than 5%. Uh, Amex and Travelers contributing to the declines as well. Meanwhile, let's check on Bitcoin, which is plunging along with stocks. It's dropping about 3% today, and it's down about 7% in just the past week. It started collapsing after the year was red hot. Despite some calling it an inflation hedge, Bitcoin's value has been cut in half since peaking in April, and we're again in danger of dipping below the $30,000 mark. For more on what's driving the crypto crash, let's bring in Coindesk's Emily Parker, along with our own Kate Rooney. Uh, Great to have you both here. Emily, let me start with you. There's a lot of talk about stable coins, actually, as a big area of concern, one that might be kind of pulling the rug out from beneath uh, the space. Do you think there's some merit in that? For sure. Stable coins are officially on the radar of regulators who are asking, are these coins really stable at all? And, you know, this has been an on, there's been an ongoing controversy about stable coins like Tether or USDT. But the reason that they're in the spotlight now is that the market has just gotten so big. The market cap of the top three stable coins has reached 100 billion. That's up from around, that's up from around 11 billion a year earlier. So, you know, this is now a really big force in the market. And a lot of people are using it to enter the cryptocurrency market. So there's reasons to ask how stable these coins really are. Yeah. And Kate, there was more news on that over the weekend. I think there's a working group that the president or, or Janet Yellen are currently uh, involved with. So how long until there's more clarity on this front? And by the way, the SEC itself, you have uh, certain members saying there needs to be more clarity around crypto, just a, uh, from all directions, this regulatory concern. Do you think that's part, Kate, of what is moving the, you know, the whole space lower or are, are they just kind of getting wrapped up in whatever is, else is going on with markets here? That's been part of the, the effect this year, more focused on regulation. There is that presidential panel, includes a bunch of different regulatory heads meeting about a dollar-pegged digital currency today. We had Jerome Powell saying last week that he's really not a fan of, of stable coins. He said there's really not the right framework right now. So that could be a hint that we'll see more of at least a regulatory framework, which some argue could be good for the crypto market in general And he talked about the idea that you wouldn't need stable coins in some instances if they did have a U.S. digital currency. I was looking at Tether. Emily mentioned sort of the rise of that cryptocurrency. Kelly, you and I have talked about that. Mm -hmm. Back in April, when Bitcoin was around $60,000, the uh, market cap of Tether was around $40 billion. Since Bitcoin has fallen, it's risen to about $60 billion. So analysts and traders I've been talking to say, Watch the tether market. When people leave Bitcoin, they're often not going back into a bank account. They would rather put their money on the sidelines in something like tether so that if they do see an opportunity to get back in, they can quickly go in and out from an exchange versus really liquidating and going back into dollars. I think today is more macro-driven, though. No, it's a great point. It's kind of like watching equity flows. You know, are people pulling money out of the market and where are they parking it and all of these different kinds of things. Emily, people in the crypto space generally seem, you know, not the long-term ones who are building it, but the kind of... um, you know, the ones who are in it sort of with an eye towards whether this is really the time that it's going to appreciate in value or not. I feel like there there's just so much negative sentiment right now. Um, what, you know, do you think the price is ultimately what resolves that? I mean, it seems like people are seeing this more as the beginning than the end of the move. It really depends on what your perspective is, right? Like if you enter the Bitcoin market at around $60,000, obviously this is not a great moment for you, right? But if you enter the Bitcoin market a few years ago, or if you were smart enough to buy the dip last year in 2020 when it was below 4000 like you're still, you know, having a pretty huge return, right? And the larger narrative about Bitcoin, which you've discussed before on the show, is this, this narrative of institutional investors getting involved. Mm-hmm. And that narrative hasn't really changed. That's a longer term narrative. Now we see Bank of America is allowing Bitcoin futures trading for some of its clients, such as 
just happened last week. So, or that was reported last week by Coindesk. So this is, you know, this the larger narrative remains the same. And one quick final question, Kate, about Binance. You know, whenever there's a huge exchange or a platform like that that's under so much regulatory scrutiny, people get a little nervous. You know, is, is that, do you think, a separate issue because it was doing unregulated futures and that sort of thing? Or do you think that it's making the average person just a little bit queasy about how they're holding or accessing crypto? That's such an interesting case study because it is such a global company. So I think the crackdowns in the UK say more about that regulatory structure. They're still big in Asia and they offer massive amounts of leverage, 100 to 1 in some instances. And that had been blamed for some of the weakness earlier in the year when you saw some of that unwind. People needed to meet certain margin calls. So I think companies like Binance, because they've grown to such a huge juggernaut in the crypto market, are ones to watch. But I think the UK issues are more regional and more specific to what's going on there. But anything to do with regulation has seemed to really catch the attention of traders and especially in different markets. But Asia, it is so interesting, these companies that are so global operating in so many different markets when the framework in every single market is different. Yeah. And Binance trying to skirt that sort of by not really having a jurisdiction. And that's uh, not really working for them either. Uh, thank you both very much. We appreciate it. Kate Rooney and Emily Parker on crypto today. Let's turn to the home builders now. Pretty mixed bag. They're mostly holding up thanks to dropping yields. As you can see there, KB Home is actually positive, but Pulte is down half a percent. Uh, let's bring in Diana Olick now to talk a little bit more about what this means for the housing market. Diana, because it'll take a while for yields to ripple through into mortgages. Yeah, I mean, it's already happening now, Kelly, though, even though the builder sentiment index that was out this morning dropped slightly more than expected, it's still high. And again, the stocks are clearly more interested in falling mortgage rates than anything else. Take a look at the average on the 30-year fixed, which loosely tracks the yield on the 10-year treasury. It came down pretty sharply last week and is way down from where it was last spring. Now it's down about a quarter of a point from just last Thursday. Now, with home prices, especially for new construction, still rising fast due to high construction costs, any savings on that interest rate side should give sales a lift. It's also possible that this new surge in COVID cases could increase demand yet again for new homes. We saw demand skyrocket at the start of the pandemic as people looked for homes with more space. Now, stocks could also be following the lead of KB Home, which was upgraded today by Seaport Research Partners. They said partly due to deleveraging and partly because the outlook for housing on balance remains favorable. Also, the big run-up in home prices heightens concerns on affordability, but fundamentally, demographics look good for the next several years. Now, we get earnings on Thursday from the nation's largest home builder, D.R. Horton, and we'll be watching for any commentary on rates there that could move the stocks yet again. Kelly? Diana, we were just talking to Brian Nagel about this, but what's your sense of the momentum in the housing market right now? I mean, anecdotally, I'm seeing tons of supply. Is that still helping the market with some positive momentum throughout the summer? Do you think things are slowing at all? There is, I wouldn't say tons. There is new supply coming onto the market. Sellers want to take advantage of those higher prices. So we are seeing new supply. We're not seeing quite enough yet from the home builders, which we really need to see more of. We've seen dips in sales. Then we saw a surge in pending home sales just last month at signed contracts. We see mortgage rates now come down sharply. sharply. Some of those people on the fence might think, okay, now's a quick time to get in because the overall thought was that mortgage rates would be going up throughout the rest of the year. So this may be that last chance to see 
them jump in. Again, it's going to all depend on that buyer sentiment and how much really good quality supply there is out there that's affordable. There are new listings, come on. But Kelly, you know they are super pricey. Oh, they are. I don't blame sellers. I mean, they're sort of seeing their opportunity, but I, I, my eyebrows certainly go up when I see some what they're listing at. A quick sort of final question on this. I do wonder if we're about to enter the third school year, Diana, where there's concerns about COVID and what it's going to mean for students and you know reopenings and all of that. I mean, do you think that actually makes people think who haven't already thought before about relocating or working from home? You know, in other words, that we're not past this yet. You know, for the third, it feels like school year now, we're talking about where are you going to be able to go to school and work and all the rest of it. I just wonder if that's going to kind of add a little bit more demand into the market of people relocating. I think it's absolutely possible. I mean, look, we expected everything to be reopening and everything to go back to normal this summer. Now we've got the new Delta variant. People are starting to think again about what's opening in the fall, what's not, will the office be open, and will I be sitting in this house, and is this house too small? Do I need to really make that move? There may not be a lot of those left from so many who did that last year. I mean, we saw a massive, huge in-home sales last year, but there still could be some who say, maybe this is longer term than I thought, and that could juice some demand. But again, there needs to be that supply out there for them to be able to afford. Yeah, exactly. All right, Diana, thanks. Diana Olick with the latest state of play in housing. Before we go, the reopening names are under pressure. Let's get a quick check on the travel stocks with Seema Modi. Seema? What's interesting, Kelly, the sell-off in travel, a sharp contrast to the bookings numbers, which show travelers are getting back on the road again this summer. Here is hotel occupancy over the last few weeks after a record July 4th. Occupancy has fallen slightly, still averaging around 66%. Uh, Marriott CEO Tony Capuano telling CNBC last week this fall will be critical for the industry just to see how significant of a pickup in corporate business travel as schools reopen and kids go back to school. I think the other question, Kelly, is will people's travel preferences change? Airbnb was a big beneficiary during the pandemic last year. You'll see it is down less than some of the other travel operators like Expedia today. Yeah, they're all holding up relatively well, all things considered. It's interesting. Seema appreciated. Seema Modi. That does it for The Exchange today. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.